What's up, y'all? This is John and Wes back with another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. The moment we have all been waiting for since January the 11th is finally five days away, and we are back to God's favorite season, college football. Um, As our listeners know, we have been trying to get as many different perspectives as possible in the college sports realm. Um, so this week we have a very special guest to give us a brand new perspective for us. Rob Mosley joins us from GoDucks.com. Um, Rob, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, give us a little bit of background. Yeah, sure. Good to talk to you guys. Um, I'm editor of the website here for Oregon Athletics. Uh, um, so I work for the athletic department. I'm a 1999 graduate of the University of Oregon. Grew up originally in Northern California, but uh, basically consider myself an Oregonian at this point. I was a journalism major, uh, graduated in 99, figuring I was going to work for newspapers for my whole life, and uh, went to work for the local paper here in Eugene uh, soon after graduation. Did that for about a dozen years, and uh, the world turned upside down, or at least the journalism world did. So uh, in 2013, I came to work internally here. Uh, it was pretty good timing because uh, Mariota was here. And so I was kind of got to be firsthand uh, on the scene for the Heisman season in 14 and uh, going to the playoff that year. And then uh, kind of along for the ride ever since I, I cover football, but everything else here too. So um had some, some success in men's and women's basketball, baseball, softball, track and field, obviously is a real, real strength of this athletic department. Um volleyball so uh been a pretty fun ride it's been really fun to kind of be on the inside um obviously working for the department there's some you know takes i don't offer and things like that and some storylines i don't wade into that some other folks do but uh (laughs) it's a that's a easy easy price to pay yeah oh absolutely i mean it sounds like you're really living the dream i mean that's that's what I mean, essentially kind of what we're doing just in a very roundabout way neither of us had the opportunity to go to georgia but following the passion of just covering covering as much of the athletics as we can in our own way yeah yeah um, on the on you know it's uh, the rare day it actually does feel like a job it actually does feel like work but most of the time it feels like uh, a real a real privilege and uh, i feel luckier than most so yeah we've got everybody's got pets and dogs y'all so if you hear some barking some meow and anything like that just uh please forgive us. If you like, if somebody like walks into my office talking, do you want me to just like stop and start over and then you'll just edit that? Yeah, we can do that. Perfect. Okay. Um, so Rob is going to help us kind of figure out what to expect from Oregon and Atlanta this Saturday. And then we've got some rapid fire questions at the end to just get to know Rob a little bit better. Um, and if you're drinking, what are you guys drinking tonight? Rob, we know you're at work, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, at, at, at the point that we're recording this, there's a press conference with Coach Landon coming up in about an hour, so I figure his very first weekly pregame press conference be, would be the, the wrong thing to show up to in, uh-huh. in, any, in, in any state of uh, disrepair, so I'm, gonna, I'm trying to keep myself on the level. Hey. Well, we'll drink for you. There you go. <laughs> I got, um, I'm actually drinking a drink I haven't had in a long time. I'm having a Heineken tonight. Okay. I'm actually drinking something I haven't in a while either. I got a Weller Special Reserve weeded bourbon that I'm drinking tonight. Also a green label, so we're we're on the same page here. We got we got um, the Georgia going on, and we got the Oregon green labels going on. So hey, 
Um, so let's go ahead and jump right into this breakdown. I, I I know Wes and I are both super excited. We've been teasing it to our fans all week, just dropping little hints about what we've got going on. We're we're super excited to hear what you've got to say. Um, so getting right into it, Oregon finished last season as what seems to have become the standard in Eugene with winning the Pac-12 North. Um, but this offseason, there has been a regime change and – a very familiar face to dog fans has come into town, taken over coach Dan Lanning. Um, what are your thoughts on the changes that coach Lanning has made to the program so far? Well, I think, I think, you know, a, a big key just for all the changes is, is a sense of continuity, to, you know, so, so you start with that. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, first Willie Taggart for as short as his, his tenure was here. And, and then certainly Mario Cristobal kind of, raise the standard in terms of kind of how aggressive this program was going to be recruiting the nation. Um, you know, I think, you know, when, when, when Oregon really broke through nationally when Chip Kelly was the head coach, um, I think it, it was a sense that there were some schematic advantages, you know, some elements of the, of, you know, the way the game is played that Oregon was able to take advantage of and really give them an edge and you recruit a lot of speed um, and then do some things differently than most people were doing. And, and, and Oregon was a little ahead of the curve there. Um, but at some point people catch up to you, you know, and, and it's, it, ultimately it really comes down to having really good players. Right. So, um, you know, I think that the, the, for all the advantages Oregon had back then, um, it wasn't necessarily leveraged, uh, in recruiting the extent it could have been, you know, there, there was certainly an effort during those years to get into Texas a little bit. Um, but it was still a lot of, you know, recruit LA, recruit the Northwest, uh, things like that. So, you know, when, when Willie Taggart came in, you know, he really, you know, Florida became a big priority for him. And, he, you know, he had some connections there. Um, and then, you know, Mario Cristobal was on that staff and, and really helped that that Florida, you know, connection. But, um, you know, really the nation as a whole. And, and we just we saw the trajectory Oregon recruiting went on under Mario Cristobal becoming, you know, annually kind of a top 15, even, you know, a top 10 uh, recruiting team nationally. And so I think there was really a desire to sustain that because I think everybody around here saw that when you recruit personnel, that's that talented and, and, and it's not just a few guys. I mean, when there's a depth of talent like that, um, it can, it can really, you know, make you a factor nationally, obviously. And, and so I think Dan Lanning's reputation as a recruiter um, really helped um, in, in terms of feeling like that was going to be sustained and that, you know, if you could keep recruiting players on a national level, then you could stay competitive on a national level, um, you know. But I also think just, you know, a, a guy with his defensive background is a little bit different than what this program has had. And, you know, not necessarily that that gave him an edge over other people who might have been in the running. But I think, you know, I think Oregon fans with with the uh, with the talent that's here on defense are excited to see what a guy with with that kind of pedigree uh, can do with this talent on hand. And obviously it's a program that's been known nationally for offense. You know, even if it's those of us who, who follow it closely think that that was a little bit of an overgeneralization. I mean, there's some pretty good defensive talent that's come out of this program as well. You know, DeForest Buckner just got named one of the top hundred players in the NFL. Um, you know, and he was on a defensive line here that also featured Eric Armstead. He's been a regular for the 49ers for a long time. And, um, you know, several guys like that, Terrence Mitchell and Troy Hill, who've, who've been playing in the NFL for a long time, even if they're not superstar names at that level, you know, or big keys to that that 2014, 2014 team. So um, but but still, again, the depth of talent that's been uh, that's has accumulated here the last few years is, is really something. And 
Um, so I think there's a lot of excitement to see, to see what he can, what he can do with, with, with that uh, on that side of the ball in particular. Yeah, yeah. no, I go ahead, Wes. No, so yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw what that Georgia defense did last season. So I think Dan Landon is definitely going to bring a new perspective to, you know, that Oregon was like you said, is main priority since everybody knows has been offense. Like since you've known Oregon, you've known them to have an explosive offense. So yeah, no, and it, looking back at it, Oregon's recruited the best out of the Pac-12 for years and years now, uh, getting a lot of guys out of the South. I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, you obviously know more than I do about the program, <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, no, I we'll just go into um, into the coordinators here. Uh, both of the coordinators are new at pl- calling plays this season. Um, they've been around in a lot of defensive and offensive positions. Uh, I mean, Kenny Dillingham's been an offensive coordinator before, but never called plays. So I've heard from a lot of Georgia fans that we just we have no idea what to expect. Um, I mean, both both sides of the ball, they've been in some phenomenal offenses and defenses. Um, but starting with the offense, ha- you know, he's never called plays. Uh, he's worked in a lot of explosive offenses. He's worked with a lot of good athletes. Um, what should we expect from Coach Dillingham's offense this season? Well, I think, you know, for, for, from an Oregon fan perspective, I think they're, you know, when Mario Cristobal here, you know, the, was here, the the, the, the hallmark for him was, was physicality. And, you know, again, those Chip Kelly teams, um, again, I think they were kind of overgeneralized as kind of a razzle dazzle run away from you rather than run over you type offense. And I think, um, you know, players over the years, like LeGarrette Blunt and, and some others, you know, did, didn't necessarily uh, fulfill. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt would obviously run over you. And I, I think <laughs> there, there were some, you know, some pretty good offensive linemen that played in that system too. So it wasn't, um, Again, that was an overgeneralization, but um, the, the the physicality that Mario Cristobal preached was obviously at just a different level. I mean, that was that was it was a a true and sincere commitment to just dominating the line of scrimmage scrimmage and you know running the ball between the tackles. And I don't care if you know it's coming, we're still going to you know you know punch you in the teeth and, and 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 ram it down your throat. And you know more often than not, that worked out. You know, I think you know the success speaks for itself. But I think. For an Oregon fan base that was accustomed to, you know, scoring 40, 50, 60 points a fair amount of times, um, you know, to see a little bit more conservative approach, even despite the success it yielded, felt like a little bit of a departure from kind of what made Oregon different. So, um, you know, it sounds like sort of a contradiction to get away from something that, you know, yielded three straight trips to the conference title game and two conference championships. But I do think there's still some Oregon fans, that, (laughs) you know. If all things being equal, they 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 obviously want to try to sustain that level of success, but also maybe open it up a little bit more. And so I think there's a hope around here that things are a little bit more wide open. And I, and I think you know again when you talk about the depth of talent that's been recruited here, uh, and then in particular on the offensive side of the ball with some of the additions through the transfer portal yeah. uh, at running back and a wide receiver, I think there's a sense. That, that there's a depth at running back and at receiver. I mean, uh, this probably happens at every program around the country this time of year. But, you know, when when offensive players and coaches are available to media, it's, wow, you sure have a lot of talent at running back. Are you going to use more multiple running back sets? Wow, you sure have a lot of talent at tight end. How often are you going to throw multiple tight ends out there? You know, but the, receive, but the receivers, of course, you know, yeah. Yeah, you can play a lot of those guys. So, I, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement just because of the depth of talent at those different skill positions. 
Um, there's a veteran offensive line back too. I mean, all, uh, uh, six guys with significant, significant starting experience are back, but, um, I just think there's, there's an excitement among Oregon fans that potentially that, that think things could be opened up a little bit. And, um, you know, the ball might be in the air a little bit more, take a few more shots down the field, um, you know, utilize all the, that depth at those skill positions in some creative ways to, you know, get different personnel groupings out there, things like that. So, um, you know, and, and then I, I think, you know, with the staffs that Lanning and Dillingham both worked on and, and Matt Powledge too on defense and, and, uh, you know, on and on up and down the staff. I mean, um, I, I, you know, I don't think there's any skepticism here that these guys, you know, won't know what they're doing once, once the, the, the ball is in the air and it's time to call plays. I mean, this is, this is the time of year too in preseason camp. I mean, you're scripting a zillion situations and practices, um, you know, we're coming out of our own end zone We're you know, we're in the red zone and, you know, in, in a two minute situation where, you know, it's the third quarter and you're doing this or this, that, you know, and, and obviously practice is different for, than a game, but you're scripting a zillion different game like situations and trying to call plays live in those situations, reacting to, to whatever it, it happened the previous play, just to try to get yourself, you know, coaches are getting reps too, just like players getting reps to try to, to try to figure out, okay, what, you know, what's, what are the, what's the call I like in this situation? So, um, you know, it's, it, it's a young staff and I do think that's, you know, I, I know a lot of folks probably look at point spreads and things like that. And some people are surprised by the number. Some people in your end probably aren't, or think it's not, it, it could probably be bigger, but, uh, you know, I, but you know, I, I, you know, I obviously, you know, there's a lot of newness around this team. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, whoever the new quarterback is, it's going to be a new face at quarterback. Um, and, and, and you have a, a young coaching staff, you have a new head coach. So, you know, I, obviously, you know, a lot of things have to be proven on this end. It's, it's the time of year when everybody's optimistic as heck, because that's why we watch sports, right? Because, uh, we want yeah. to cheer for our teams and, and, and we're always hoping for the best. So, um, and, but again, ultimately you got to prove it once, once the games get going. So, um, that's just one of a zillion reasons this game's going to be so fascinating. Yeah, so, so kind of piggybacking off of what you said, I actually picked this game to be Georgia's toughest on our schedule just because we we don't know what to yeah. expect from this Oregon yeah. team. And Dan Landing knows the Georgia athletic department inside and out. So not saying that gives them an advantage, but it's definitely going to be – it's going to be closer than people think, in my opinion, at least. There's always that first game factor too, you know. Yep. I mean, I, we, we see it in bowl season too. Sometimes offenses will take a little bit of time to get their rhythm. Um you know, so a game where you expect to see a ton of points, maybe you don't, or, yep. you know, things like that, you know, a first game, uh, first games are wild. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's going to be so, it's going to be so exciting to watch. Yeah, no, I, I just, I was sitting here smiling because these are the same conversations that we were having about Georgia coming into the 2019 season with two brand new coordinators, um, you know, hoping we open things up more like, yeah, we've been dominant. We've had a good defense, but we just, we want more explosion. And it seems like that's just common all over the place. And one of those things that I remember having almost this identical conversation a few years ago. So it makes me smile a little bit. Yeah. I mean, mean, as as fans of the game, we all like like big plays, right? So it's like, sure. Let's be more aggressive and more attacking on defense and try to create more turnovers and sacks and let's take more shots offensively and, you know, maybe run a few trick plays and because uh, that stuff's fun. But, you know, there's also risk reward, to all that stuff, too, that coaches have to take into account. So there's a balance, obviously. <laughs> How do you think the elevation and skill and offensive line talent help any of the quarterbacks that are going to play this season? 
Um, yeah. Oregon's had some transfers come in and wide receiver, and this is a, an extremely good offensive line um, that they're going to play behind. So how do you think the quarterback does this season, regardless of who it is? It's just been a really interesting position to watch like this preseason and, and then the way the coaches have talked about him, the way their teammates have talked about him, the way, um, you know, the way they've handled themselves. Um, you know, obviously Bo Nix comes in and he's got a ton of editor experience. And I, you know, I, I certainly understand, um, you know, people just making the assumption that, you know, all that experience is just going to be too much of an edge for him over, over some younger guys. And, you know, the assumption that he'll, he might be the guy to get the first snap. And, um, you know, he, he, I think to his credit, you know, he knew he was coming into a situation where there were a couple young guys who were younger and didn't have the experience, but also been here a couple of years and, you know, had established relationships in the locker room. Um, and I think, you know, Bo did a, a really good job this offseason of kind of assimilating himself with those guys in that quarterback room and with the rest of the team um, and to accept that not things weren't going to be handed to him, that he was going to have to battle. But um but also, you know, there, there, there is familiarity with him and Kenny Dillingham. And, and so I'm, I'm, you know, he's, he's a, he's a more mature player now than when they first worked together. And I'm sure that, 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 you know, that's been beneficial as well too. And um, you know, again, for an Oregon fan base that is looking to see things be a little bit more exciting. Um, he's certainly been a guy who can, <laughs> who's, who's been exciting to watch yeah, uh, for sure. uh, throughout his career. <laughs> um but, you know, then you have Ty Thompson, who's a five-star, former five-star recruit, who's been kind of biding his time and kind of that classic, um, well, classic's not the word to use in this case, because he's sort of that new mold of, you know, your, your dual threat guy that, that we've really seen thrive at the college level in recent years, where he's, just, you know, a great big arm, but also mobile and can run and has all the physical tools. And so, you know, doesn't have kind of those intangibles of the experience and, 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 and all that, 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 that Bo has, but then you look at him physically and you're like, well, this, you know, this guy's got, this guy's, you know, if you're designing it in a lab, you know, these, this guy's got a lot of attributes you could, you would start with. And so, and then there's Jay Butterfield who, you know, another guy who, who came here as a, a heralded recruit and is kind of biding his time. And, um, you know, with the portal being what it is, had other options and decided to stay here and compete to his credit. And, you know, a guy who just is accurate as heck, you know, as a thrower. And so they have different skill sets. And so, you know, it, you know, you wonder, okay, like what, you know, what, when ultimately you get through camp and this staff is sitting down going, okay, who are we going to be? What's our identity be as an offense? You know, there might be different, you know, each of these three different guys has strengths that might fit different things. Um, And so, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the experience on the offensive line is a huge asset for all those guys. You know, Alex Forsyth, the centers, is as mature a kid as you'll find um, in, in the college game. And and so to be, you know, to have to be that that guy that's getting the ball back to you every play is huge. And to have him in the middle line kind of setting everything. You know, there's one or two guys on that offensive line that could have thought about going pro after last year and, and, and decide to stick around. Um, and there's a bunch of young talent too. So, um, you know, for all those guys, I think that's been a huge boon. And, you know, adding more depth through the portal at some of the skill positions has been a huge boon. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how things play out Saturday. I mean, obviously coach Lanning has re- been very pointed about wanting to kind of play his cards close to the vest. Uh, I, <laughs> I understood things right from coach smart. 
he thinks there's been some tells and that he has every indication of uh, <laughs> who he expects to see. Uh, so I guess uh, I guess we'll find <laughs> out come game day uh, how that all plays out. So do you think we have to wait until that first offensive play of the season to know who's starting at quarterback, or do you think it gets denounced at some point? No, I think, you know, I, I don't know why you wait all this time and then, yeah, announce it some other point. I mean, it, during pregame warm-ups, right, you start to get an indication of how things are going to sure. go. So, Or maybe that maybe they're going to come up with uh, some system uh, of even doing that that keeps it – that keeps it uh, – a mystery but yeah i i uh yeah <laughs> i'm sure nike developed some invisible cloak to put over the qb <laughs> there you go and hopefully if any you've program got... would have access to it first it would be us so. exactly <laughs> you've got graduate assistants just carrying giant tarps right. all over the place to right. block the view right. so well, we can go ahead and move on to the defense um Dan Lanning, like you said earlier, is a defensive-minded coach. We all know that very well. He's had the privilege to work with some of the best defensive minds in college football throughout his career coming up. Um, And there's absolutely no reason to believe that the new defensive coordinator, and hopefully you can help me out with the pronunciation, um, Tosh Lapoy? Tosh Lapoy, yeah. Okay. Um, I – no indication that he won't live up to Dan Lanning's standard in anything that he's chosen to do. Um, and especially he's got, I would say, a top five inside linebacking core in the entire country coming back this season with Noah Sewell. Georgia fans know him well because I don't know a single Georgia fan that didn't want him to come play. <laughs> um, and you've got Justin Flo as well. Um, just give us any insight on the defense this season. Well, I think those guys are excited. I mean, they watched – you know, once we knew Dan Lanning was going to be the head coach here, I mean, everybody watched the national championship game with a, just a different level of interest. I mean, it already would have been a high level, um, <laughs> but yeah, obviously that changed. And I think all those, you know, players you talk about came away from that game real excited about the prospect of playing in a system that, you know, looked that impressive. And, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, Georgia had a bunch of dudes as the, as the, the NFL draft proved. Um, and, and, you know, I, you know, I don't mean to suggest, and this defense here at Oregon can just be anointed at that level, even despite some of their recruiting prowess. Obviously, you gotta you gotta go show it. But you know, given some of the talent that's been recruited here too, again, as I alluded to earlier, I think there's just a lot of excitement to see. You know, when you match when you match this staff with Lupoi and and and, and Pallage and Tony Tuioti who came over to coach the D line, and um, you know the uh, you know and then Dan Lanning's background himself, yeah, just. Uh, a lot of excitement, you know, uh, Sewell and Flo were two five-star recruits. Um, but there's a couple other guys at inside linebacker and Jackson LaDuke and, and Jeff Bassa that have played a lot, you know, Keith Brown's another five-star guy who was a local kid um, in that inside linebacker mix. So it's just a, it's just a really crazy mix of talent at one specific position group. And then a coach who seems to really know how to, how to maximize uh, that their, uh, their ability to impact a game. Um, it, it, it's a little strange again for a team that's kind of been known for offense. And, and, and again, um, I think, you know, there's a defensive tradition here that get is a little overlooked because of the offense that, that, that is good, but for it to, you know, to lose a player like Kayvon Thibodeau and for that, not really to be like a big narrative this off season, like how are you going to replace him? I think because, you know, just because the other change, so, there's so much change that kind of, you know, directs your attention naturally 
Um, but also, you know, so much excitement about the, you know, the, the new staff and then some of the new returning talent back. It's just wild to think that you could lose a talent uh, of that regard. Um, and it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, when you watch the, when, when you look at, you know, what are five questions about the ducks or things like that, like replacing Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, it isn't always popping up and yet he was such a freakish talent, but yeah. you know, when you, when you talk about that inside linebacker group, you know, I think Brandon Dorless is a guy as a defensive end that there's a lot of excitement about DJ Johnson's a guy who played both ways last year um, is focused on being an edge defensive guy this year. And there's a lot of excitement about his ability to, to get after the quarterback. Um, some, again, the portal helped particularly on the interior defensive line. Again, I mentioned Tony Tuioti who came over from Nebraska and a couple players uh, came over uh, to help enhance the depth there. Ducks even recruited the D lineman out of Washington, which is um, you don't often see that move made from one, one rival to another, but um yeah. Um, and then Christian Gonzalez is a, a cornerback who came over, you know, his position coach uh, came over from, from Colorado and, and, uh, and Christian Gonzalez followed him and he's, he's, he's a really, really good player. So, um, you know, I think the secondary in particular, given some of the losses last couple of years and, and then from last year as well, um, the, the secondary was kind of a question mark going into the off season. And then you get a guy like, um, ah you get a guy like Christian Gonzalez to join your group and suddenly, um, you, you know, th things look a little bit different based on his experience. Um, uh, Bennett Williams is a safety who was just playing lights out last September, got hurt right before the Stanford game, uh, which ended up being Oregon's first loss this season. Um, you know, he's back, you know, and he, he's a guy who was kind of on the trajectory of, of, of maybe leaving after last year, if he'd sustained the success he was having in September, but he, but he's back. Um, and, and, uh, so both, you know, him and Jamal Hill, uh, are two kind of guys who can swing between like nickel and safety. And, um, you know, they've got a couple other guys in Brian Addison, Triquez Bridges who can swing between like corner and safety. I mean, they've got a lot of versatility on that back end. So, um, you know, I think, you know, the, again, this is the time of year when everybody's optimistic that, yep. you know, they have all the answers and all, you know, all the unproven guys are going to prove themselves and things like that. But oh, I think yeah. there's there's a lot of cautious optimism that, um, you know, some of those concerns externally about the secondary that some guys have, have really solidified some things over the course of uh, of this spring, summer and, and preseason camp. Yep. Yeah. And something that a lot of Oregon fans may not um may not know that I'm sure you do. Um, Channing Tindall, he transitioned outside linebacker in the middle of the season last season, um, was drafted as an outside linebacker, but played inside linebacker up until halfway through the season. So just back into that mold of Dan Lanning is a linebacker whisperer. I, even if people were concerned about losing Thibodeau, they definitely shouldn't be with that wealth of just general linebacker talent. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mentioned D.J. Johnson, um, you know, as a guy they're really excited about. Braden Swinson's another guy who, um, you know, was an impactful player, like in that win at Ohio State last year, um, and then was dealing with some knee problems in the middle of the season, but kind of got healthy, got back into it uh, at the end of last year. And, um, you know, he's another guy who I think, you know, you can can help spell cave on. So, again, it's strange to lose a player of his caliber and not you not be making more of a bigger deal about it and it's not suggest he'll be easily replaced but you know kind of to circle back to just 
you see the the fruits of you know and i'm you know a place like georgia you're probably used to it by now maybe hopefully you don't take it for granted because it's uh, but but the fruits of recruiting at a high level year after year after year um you just you you, you um you bounce back from things like that a lot a lot different than you know a place like oregon you know 5 10 20 years ago um you know you lose a guy like that and it's it's a generational player who you know, that might not be replaced for a long time. You know, you might not see another talent like that for, for a while. Um, and so uh, it kind of speaks to the different era of that, that Oregon is in now that you can lose a top five pick and feel like, well, you know, maybe there are some answers on hand here. Um, and that the kind of the pipeline has been developed so that you're kind of, you're uh, you know, it, it, the, the face looks different, but the production, you know, hopefully looks at least close to similar. And some Georgia fans do still take it for granted. A lot of us have um, have something that I affect, affectionately call the um, Mark Rick anxiety syndrome, <laughs> where we every year somebody gets drafted and we think we're going six and six at best next season. The sky <laughs> has not just is falling, but has already fallen. Georgia's going to lose every game. Like I promise you, on Saturday morning, I'm gonna be outside the stadium tailgating with some friends, and I will be convinced Georgia's not gonna score a single point. <laughs> well, I think you know. On one hand, obviously that you know that that feel that can feel ridiculous, but on another hand, too, part of that feels like healthy for me. Like there <laughs> there needs to be a level of respect for how hard it is to sustain success, yeah, and how um, you know for as much talent as you might have, and for as you know, confident you might feel in the resources you have and the ability of your coaching staff that it is hard to win and it is hard to, to win at a sustained level. And that, you know, what schools like, you know, just look at who's making up the playoff field most years. I mean, that, that, that breaking into that club when you're not in it is hard to do too. So, um, you know, you have to have so much respect for what the Ohio States and the Alabamas, and, sorry, and the Georgias and um, the Clemsons, you know, and Oregon obviously wants to be in that conversation um, too, you know, and try to try to break through and win a national championship and earn a place in a conversation like that. But it's just, it is so hard. It's hard to get on top of the mountain um, as the ducks have discovered a few times when they've gotten close, but staying, staying at that level too is not an easy task. And so on, on some levels, I appreciate the anxiety because it's, that's realistic. You know, I mean, it is, it's not easily done. You don't just set it on cruise control and, and just think you're good, you know, because we've, we've all seen, um, you know, Oregon obviously had a dip in, 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 you know, six, seven years ago, you know, there's a four and eight season here in 2016 that led to some pretty major changes. Um, you know, when things can go sideways and you're least expecting it. So it's good to have a healthy dose of anxiety because it, it can be fleeting. Not to fuel any of your buddies' anxiety, but uh, <laughs> but uh, hopefully that also means that they 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 enjoy the good times even more. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, trust me. The um, last last that first weekend in December last year definitely fueled the extra loud cheering come January. <laughs> um. So yeah. to kind of kind of add maybe a question here. Is there anything that not enough people are talking about when it comes to the Oregon program this season? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot like that. No, no, that's all good. 
Question jumps to mind. No, nothing really jumps to mind. I mean, I think there's a saturation of coverage right now in college sports that's, you know, particularly this time of year in college football, it's like no stone gets left unturned. So, um, no, I think it's obviously a really intriguing season for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, I think Oregon fans are going into this game with a level of, you know, realism that, you know, this is a, a great opponent in a, in a, Hostile venue. It's a uh, you know, new, neutral site in official label only. Neutral. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, Ducks play this game, then they come home, they play Eastern Washington, you know, and then they play BYU at home, which obviously regionally is a, a program that's had a lot of success and, you know, even um, kind of been in the, on the national radar as well. So I think there's, there's a feeling that game's going to reveal a lot too. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, I think no. I, in terms of stories that aren't getting enough attention, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. Okay, I will say something from Georgia's perspective that's not getting near enough attention. They don't have a starting uh, field goal kicker going into the season. The guy that started the last two years, he <laughs> um, has apparently only been hitting about thirty three percent in scrimmages. They've got a scholarship guy that's only been hitting about forty percent and. Georgia's got a history of phenomenal field goal kickers and coming into this season. I don't, I think they're going to go for it on a lot of fourth downs coming into this game, just because they have no confidence in any of our kickers. And that's something that I haven't really heard anybody talk about. It will be interesting to see at, you know, as well as these two head coaches know each other. Yeah. What curveballs do they potentially try to throw at each other? to take advantage of that familiarity and, you know, dress something up to look like something that you might expect and then do something totally different to try to, you know, be, to try to take advantage of that familiarity. So I think, you know, we all need to be, you know, don't look away because, you know, they're, <laughs> oh, they're for sure. both of them will probably be trying to just pull one over on the other guy, you know, at, at, at different points throughout the game. So that'll, that, that game within the game will be fun and maybe nothing comes of it. Maybe those opportunities don't <laughs> develop, but, uh, um, yeah, that that that's a that's a game within the game that that'll be interesting to watch. A fake punt one. on fourth and eleven on your own side of the field. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, much to Scott Frost's chagrin, maybe somebody tries an onside kick and it works or something. <laughs> yeah. hey, that, won, that won me like sixty bucks. I live bet that game half that. We'll let you sixty bucks on it. I'll take it. <laughs> I we do have one hell of a chess match coming week one. Um, <laughs> Super excited to hear this one. Um, so last question in the breakdown that we'll get into some rapid fire. Um, are you going to be at the game this Saturday? Yeah, we, we come out Thursday. Um, okay. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, official travel party. Get, get, they got, you know, I think we have, a, we practice here in the morning and then, and then travel and then they'll have Friday out there. Um, kind of get their brand. We did the same thing uh, for the Ohio trip. Uh, Ohio State trip last year oh. went went on Thursday. Um, Oregon being on the quarter system, we don't start school till the end of September, so um, oh, wow. they can be a little looser, you know, with that scheduling and and that. So, yeah, we'll 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 get out there Thursday. I'm super excited to go to the Braves game Friday. <laughs> I've only yes. got I've only got three stadiums I haven't been to in Major League Baseball, and that's that's oh, wow. one of them. Well, I'd, I, I can't say that. I've, I've got three teams I haven't seen play a home game. Like, 
Texas has since moved to a different stadium, but I still count the fact that I've seen a Rangers game. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, but, but I've I, never been to a Wes, Braves home game. So they're fun. Wes is a Cubs fan. I am a diehard Braves fan. Right on. Um, my wife and I went to that Saturday world series game last season. Um, diehard Braves fan. I was up at the battery last Friday. Actually love it. Yeah, I've heard they they did great things with the stadium and with the area around there. So I'm excited to I'm excited to check it out. After that, I just need Miami and Toronto, and those might be a little harder to check off. I don't, I don't I'm not sure if we're going to play a football game in Toronto sometime. That would help me like the way this one is. But <laughs> now, if you just little semi local pro tip here, if you like whiskey. The ASW Distillery at the Battery. One of my friends works there, uh, David Booth. He's a listener. He's a Texas A&M fan. Um, really good dude. If you have an opportunity, go in there. At good whiskey. They also have good gin, good vodka. Good, Sounds good great. spot to hit. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, and if you if you do have time, um, I'd love to be able to buy you a beer. Thank you for coming on because I'll also be at the game on Saturday, hanging out before and after. Um so if you have Saturday, I'll try to be a little more buttoned down, but, but, uh, sure. <laughs> Friday I'm driving up from story. Savannah Saturday morning, so I will not right. be in All town right. on Friday. Um, All right. So, so close, please. near miss. Before, before we get into the rapid fire questions, I have a question I've been trying to figure out since we knew this game was happening. What is Oregon wearing? I need to know. <laughs> I don't even know that. We usually, like our marketing department is in the loop on that. And so, the, you know, they do all the photo shoots and then they, they release it all. It's generally in line. Like we release a schedule to fans before the season with like what color to wear to the games. And yeah. generally it'll be in line with that, but not always. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, in the past, usually we'll put it out like on Thursday or Friday. But, uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I tend to stay out of that realm. I'm, I'm, I usually find out when we post it all on social media, it, yeah. but it is, I mean, it is a fun, it is a fun aspect of this program. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of a double-sided coin though, or a, a double-edged sword, I guess. Uh, it, it was the word choice I was going for. Cause you don't want to be, you like to be known for that. You know, you like, you like people to know you, um, yeah. but you don't want to be known just for that. Right. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, you want to be known for, for playing football well, and looking good while you're doing it, not just for, uh, for looking cool. On the field. <laughs> looking <good. laughs> yeah. All right. So hopefully, so guys... hopefully the Ducks look good and play good on Saturday. <laughs> that uh, uniforms has been a hot topic of discussion. We've got a podcast Facebook group where we got some people in there, and uh, Georgia's kind of hinted that they're going to wear black, but that. If you follow the program, you know that's a very uh, contentious, mm. contentious conversation wearing black. So there's been a lot of arguments going on for that. <laughs> for our side. Yeah, there's an element to the Oregon fan base that, you know, if it's not green and yellow together in some combination, then it's blasphemy. And then, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, a generation that I think is probably safer to say kind of a younger generation that likes everything you know, the, the the blacks and all you know the different the darker shade of green if you like the the the, the rose bowl year in 2019 that nightmare green they wore yeah like I the eggshell uniforms from last year that's the only one i haven't liked is the eggshell ones i, yeah. I, I, wasn't, a, I wasn't a big fan of those i tend to uh, you know i'm not a huge i don't get caught up in it like you yeah. know and i don't like that's partly why i don't worry about like trying to you know 
get a tip on on what it's going to be in advance. <laughs> I just, you know, but e- even sometimes when you know the the pictures come out before the game, and I'm like, hmm, that's a little different. By the time they run out on the field, I'm usually like, all right, that, that doesn't look too bad. So, um, you know, I certainly have my favorites, but yeah. uh, in general, um, you know, obviously I'm going to support the swoosh uh, for for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> but yeah, I I do genuinely, you know, in, in in general, even even the ones that are you know are really off the beaten path when they first come out, it's like, oh, that's a different look. <laughs> I, you know, by the time the game gets going, I, I'm used to it, and I can usually come around to it. <laughs> So Wes, if you don't have any any more questions, and if Rob doesn't have anything else he wants to add, we'll get here into uh, into some rapid fire questions. And I'm good. Okay. Um, so you've been to a lot of college towns. Which one is your favorite outside oh, a, of Eugene? I should say. I'm a sucker for a good college campus, and I'm a sucker for a good college town. Um, I'm all. I also. Uh, tend not to be the most like decisive person um <laughs> so one day i could tell you one thing one t- th- day i could tell you another uh what i would like to put in a plug for uh moscow pullman uh you know pullman washington where washington state is is right across the border from moscow idaho where where the university of idaho is and so within like eight miles you get two like really great little passionate college towns like oh, wow. right next to each other so, oh, that's like, awesome you know, i didn't know out, that yeah if you're out in pullman and you know it's not really popping off although it usually is in pullman <laughs> you can just hop in a cab or an uber and go to moscow and there's probably some good trouble you can get into over there so um i've all you know uh, some people who haven't experienced either one you know might might wonder kind of out in the middle of the palouse there if there's anything going on but i'm here to tell you if you ever get a chance you know, having like a twin cities of, of college towns, like, like Moscow Pullman, um, it, I think is underrated. I, I, I usually find a way to have a good time on that, those trips. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I don't think many college football fans outside of the Northwest know that that's awesome. I'll, yeah. No. <laughs> um, so moving on to the next one, what is your favorite or your first college sports memory? Doesn't have to be football. Doesn't even have to be Oregon. So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 80s. I was born in 1976. So I came of age kind of when the 49ers were really good. And then the Golden State Warriors, you know, had an era there with like Chris Mullen and Tim Hardaway and Mitch Richmond that was good. And, um, you know, the, the Oakland A's got good in the late 80s. I'm a Dodger fan somehow by birth. So I didn't like the Giants, but which is all kind of roundabout way to say that like I was really, really pro sports heavy um, when I was growing up. And um, my freshman year at Oregon was 1994. And there was a there's kind of a famous game in Oregon lore uh, that year when Oregon upset Washington, who had kind of been the the, the kingpins of the Northwest uh, for, for a long time. Um, and a guy named Kenny Wheaton intercepted a pass and, and returned it 90 something yards to to clinch a win. And uh, I was in the student section. I was a freshman. I was losing my mind in the interception return to clinch the win. And honestly, that's like the first thing that jumped to mind is a moment when like, I got the bug for college sports, like, 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 Oh my God, I get it. Like I was a pro sports guy and it was, you know, it's fun to, to root for pro teams. Um, and, and the success, the Bay area teams had had when I was growing up was fun, but that, you know, that, 
that game in 1994 was like the first time uh, I was like, okay, you know, there's just a different level of passion and rooting interest at the college level. And now I get it. I, I love hearing stories like that. I mean, once again, back to the perspective thing, I, I we talked about in our first episode, my very first college sports memory. Cause I didn't grow up in a college sports house. Um, Georgia scoring that touchdown 07 against Florida and the entire team just rushed the end zone all over sports center like that, that just kind of, just like you were saying, I was in awe and that's it. I've been hooked ever since. So I, I brings a smile to my face here and everybody's story about that. Um, if you were a recruit and you could not take a visit to Oregon, where would your three official visits be? Man, that's a, I put some thought into this and I couldn't really come up with a good answer. <laughs> I would definitely say Hawaii because free trip to Hawaii. Right. Is great. Um, yeah. But I couldn't really come up with any other good answers, you know? Um, you know, I probably want to, okay, here's where I would go. I would want to go to, I'll say Miami, Florida, but it have to be when the Marlins were playing. Cause again, I've never seen a Marlins game <laughs> and that way I could check off the Marlins. Oh, um, okay, and okay. then I only have Toronto that I'd have to get to for a baseball game. Uh, and then, so my, my, deepest sports passion outside of the Oregon Ducks is the Pittsburgh Penguins. And so I probably want to visit Pitt, but it had to, it would have to be during a weekend that the Penguins were playing and they would <laughs> okay. have to, they would have to wind me and dine me at a Pittsburgh Penguins game. Um, if, if they were really interested in my services. I like I, the logic and the thought behind that. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. I'm, There's a I, lot of self-interest there. <laughs> no, I, I've been trying for quite literally years to um, there's a, I work in the fire protection industry and there's a fire protection class in Chicago every year. And I want to line it up for a, for a Cubs game so I can go to Wrigley field. So I, that's, that's my favorite answer we've gotten so far. Wrigley's great. I, I, yeah, I, I there's a lot of, there, there, not a lot, but there's some sports traditions you experience and you're like, eh, I'm not sure why this is a tradition. But sitting in the bleachers at Wrigley is all it's all it's cracked up to be. It's it's awesome. Yeah, that I feel like if you're a sports fan and that's not on your bucket list, you're wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. So pick a spot outside of the United States for Oregon to host their rivalry game. I think we know the answer. <laughs> Toronto, Canada. <laughs> while, the, while, the, while the Blue Jays are in town, and if the Penguins could be playing. The the Maple Leafs at the time even better. Um, <laughs> no, I you know I think I I love big international cities too. So like I'm super jealous. Like you know that 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 Northwestern and Nebraska got to go play overseas. Like a game in like you know Rome would be awesome, or like Sydney, Australia. Or like I I want to see the pyramids someday. So like you know <laughs> heck let's let's build a football stadium there and go and go play by the pyramids. You know. <laughs> That, I'm a big fan of the awesome. Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead played out there at the pyramids. You know, seeing the seeing the ducks out there would be awesome too. <laughs> All right. So you did say that you are not too big into the uniforms, but do you have a favorite uniform that Oregon has worn? Yeah, I did. I mentioned to you that I've 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 had some favorites too. Yeah, in uh, 2016, there was a uniform that was uh, supposed to mimic 
the mascot, the duck mascot. Um, And it was really cool. And unfortunately that was one of a few examples in recent years where there's a really pretty cool alternate uniform and then the ducks lose the game and it never sees the light of day again. Um, And that was the case there. That was a close loss to Colorado in that game. Um, And so it, it, uh, it, it, went into the closet but it was really cool it was controversial amongst the Oregon fans some Oregon fans because in order to look like the mascot the players had to wear orange socks and cleats like the duck uh orange is obviously Oregon State's primary color that's obviously uh a a rival and so for some particularly some old school Oregon fans that did not sit well having any orange at all in the in the Oregon football uniform but I thought I thought it was a really cool look a a fun look um and I was I was sad to see it uh, only appear the one time. I, I remember those. Those were those were nice. They I, were fun. You know, some some of them are different. It's, you know, you tweak a color here, a color there. You throw a different color out, and that's fine. Those were just so like unique. off the beaten path, and there was like such a yeah, such a distinct like narrative behind them because they, it was the mascot that I I thought that was fun. The most unexpected thing I've learned today is that we share a hatred for the color orange. It's a weird thing, dude, because I mentioned, okay, so, you know, I work at Oregon. I went to Oregon. So obviously Oregon state, I'm not a fan. Uh, my, my dad's grandmother was a Dodger fan going back to Brooklyn. So that's how I grew up a Dodger fan. So I don't like the giants orange <laughs> and hockey. I just, there was no uh, Bay area team in California when I was growing up, this is before the Sharks, So I adopted the penguins, their rivals, the flyers, orange like it's like if a team wears the 49ers played the Bengals in one of the first super bowls i remember if there's a team that wears orange somehow i found a way to try to root against them <laughs> good <laughs> I, I think i think orange is just the villain color of sports I, all of georgia's <laughs> main rivals are orange you get no Auburn, argument from florida me. tennessee at the most unexpected thing i've heard today but i love it um uh, <laughs> So you're not in the press box in your normal spot in the stadium. Where are you going to try to sit? Yeah, I would probably try to rekindle the glory days and sit in the student section. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not sure I could hang anymore <laughs> all these years later. Uh, but, you know, I just think that the passion that the students bring to a game and, you know, the different you know, all the different cheers they all do and, you know, the signs and the body paint and all the rest. I mean, it's just, that's what college football is about, right? You want, you know, when you think about the pageantry, um, you know, for all, you know, for all the passionate support that, that, you know, longtime donors provide. And, you know, that's the foundation of any, of any program is that, you know, those folks that are, that sustain you, you know, by their passion year over year over year, those young kids that just lose their minds because, you know, they're, 22 and they're at a college football game and maybe they'll get on tv and um <laughs> you know maybe if they cheer loud enough they can impact the outcome of the game um that's pretty fun to, and to even be adjacent to that um that's that's probably the best seat in the house yeah so this is the first time i'm going to tell this story on these airwaves and my wife's probably going to murder me for saying this here we go um <laughs> so my wife went to Georgia. She used to sneak me in the student section. We always sat in the front row in the end zone. Um, right. If you ever watched a Georgia game, the end zone with the B, we were in that corner, literally front row. Um, Alabama came to town in 2015. 
my wife at the time we were dating, she spent hours painting my face like Darth Maul from Star Wars. <laughs> you know, I, we were super excited. We sat in the rain for like four hours in just waiting to get in line. They come back from halftime. Georgia's down big, real big. It, it was depressing. We were already talking about leaving. And um, CBS guy points at us and gives us a thumbs up. And we had just been cheering. So I was like, oh, they got my face on TV. Our whole section was going crazy. Um, no, they took a clip of my wife looking sad in the rain where it looked like she was crying. <laughs> and um, you can still go to Google Images and search sad Georgia fan and find a picture of her <laughs> face. Oh, no. Next um, to Darth Maul. No, that wasn't even the picture. My <laughs> shoulder made the cut. <laughs> Yeah, That's so at, tomorrow afternoon when I get home from work, she'll probably uh, be very upset with me after hearing about this. But it was just a matter of time till it came out because that's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> Why did awesome. everyone find this picture and text it to me? <laughs> now I, you'll know. That's going, that's, that's going in the group. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got it saved. I'll, I'll, nope. We'll figure that out. Um, so if anyone takes a trip to Eugene, what your favorite, it can be a bar, restaurant, just what's the coolest spot in Eugene? Yeah, you know, I think there, you know, there's obviously some spots on campus that are fun. Um, you know, Rennie's was my, Rennie's Landing was my place when I was a student. Um, and that's probably where I'd go back and chop it up if I was, if I was uh, in such a mood. Um, I try to keep a little lower profile uh, around town these days than, than, uh, than I used to, but, uh, you know, it, it's, this is a, this is a great place to find a craft brew. You know, if, if you've heard of Ninkasi, if you've heard of Hop Valley, if you've heard of Oakshire, you know, some small, you know, craft breweries that have been starting to get particularly, um, Ninkasi and Hop Valley, a little bit more of a, a, a national foothold. Um, is, this is a tough place to beat, uh, when it comes to, to people, uh, making small batches and large batches of, of really good IPAs and other good beers. So um, I would, I would probably try to craft like a bar, a pub crawl uh, for somebody if they were so inclined to, to taste a bunch of good beers. Cause there's a, there's a lot of options. Okay. All right. So after that bar crawl, favorite restaurant, favorite type of food, everybody gets the drunk munchies at about two or three in the morning. What are you eating at that point? Well, so I mentioned Rennie's Landing, and uh, back in the day, it's not there, it just closed down, but uh, about a block and a half from Rennie's used to be uh, the high-level cuisine furnished by 7-Eleven. <laughs> the nachos with chili from 7-Eleven, I probably, that was probably my stop on the way home uh, way, way, way too many nights back in the day. Um, so if, if we're sharing things that we're not necessarily proud of or didn't anticipate, uh, sharing, I can, I can check that box now as well. I will say the worst thing about living in Georgia is 7-Eleven does not have any locations. Mm, yeah. We do up here. Well, you York. almost live in Canada. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. I'm like 30 minutes from Canada. So, <laughs> so if you ever want to go to Toronto game, I think Toronto's like right across the border. You always get it. <laughs> my wife's from northern washington right on like right you know maybe like 45 minutes from uh from vancouver british columbia i mean i've, I've literally, 
I've literally been on a on a jog from her family farm and got detained at the border because I was trying to like approach the border and mistakenly crossed the border and then had to answer a few questions for the the nice Mounties. But uh, Canada is a great place. Never, the been... only country that I border is Florida. Um, <laughs> it's, and it's, I, its, that's own... about an hour and a half. <laughs> it's its own nation. <laughs> I, the people are definitely different, and the drivers are worse. <laughs> Um, so last question before we get you out of here, um, which team or fan base is your favorite trash talk? You know, from an Oregon perspective, it's such an interesting, I guess I'd be interested to hear if you guys have a situation like this because, you know, Oregon state's a traditional rival. Yep. And so, you know, particularly for, for, uh, you know, folks who grew up in this state, you know, it's, it's Oregon, Oregon state, that's who your rival is. Um, you know, in any given year, you know, Oregon State, and, and and we've seen it in recent years, has been able to get the best of Oregon. But, you know, generally speaking, it tends to be – it's been a little – certain times. Washington, and that one's been pretty one-sided over the last 15 years or so too, but there was this sustained run of success for the Huskies. They, you know, they were kind of the, the neighborhood bully in the Northwest. And so um, for, for a large swath of Oregon fans kind of breaking through – and being able to go toe to toe, being able to uh, being an equal to, if not even superior to Washington in, yeah. in recent years, they've really enjoyed. So I think for, you know, speaking for the Oregon fan base in general, there's this real split between who's Oregon's primary rival. Is it Oregon State or is it Washington? Because, you know, there's different there's different sources of the dislike for either one. Yep. Um you know, and, and different different reasons to to consider either one the main rival. But I think if you asked, if you asked, you know, ten different Oregon fans, you might get a fifty fifty split over who they think is you know who they considered this program's biggest rival. Yeah, it's definitely Georgia fans. We see that because we got three that we claim. Three, so, and I'm not even counting Georgia Tech in that either. Because I, just... I absolutely assume that was one. No. And it, so I think for Georgia fans, it really depends on where you live in the state. Yeah. Because um, Georgia's so much significantly smaller than Oregon. Um, and I grew up all over the state. So down south, everybody hates Florida. If you live on the west side of the state, it's Bama or Auburn. East Run, side, Run. South Carolina. You live on the north side, it's Tennessee. Interesting, um, yeah. Yeah. And then if you've had the um, – disservice of living outside of Georgia in any of those states you hate that school the most sure sure yeah and and you know it's it gets cyclical too I'm sure right like you know there's there were years like when Chip Kelly was a coach here kind of Stanford was kind of Oregon's nemesis and that's you know that's continued off and on since including last year um and so I think that if you know there's probably some people that might even say Stanford around here just because the nature of how some of those ga- games have played out too so um but your biggest your biggest rival is always the next team on the schedule, right? Yep. So right now, for you guys, it's us, and for us, it's you. <laughs> All right. Um, if neither of you guys have anything else, I think I think you can uh, go get off to that press conference, Rob. Yeah, I we got really a, I appreciate got a boogie about now, so this is perfect timing. Hey, we we really truly appreciate you coming on and talking with us. I know I yep. learned a lot. I'm sure all yeah. of our listeners are going to. Um, happy to do it yeah and uh obviously due to the nature of my job you guys had to make some concessions about some of the subject matter and i appreciate uh appreciate you being willing to do that too oh yeah definitely
And if you've got time and want anyone to uh, be able to find you on social media, where would they do that? My Twitter handle is at duck football, just duck singular D U C K football. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm on Instagram, and Facebook too, but I don't really, you know, I don't, Twitter's kind of my main, my main, uh, medium for, uh, reaching fans and goducks.com is our website. You will find exactly zero state secrets about, uh, matchups and depth charts and things like that. So, uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, uh, we'll be revealing things, uh, as they happen on, on Saturday. So the chess match begins, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, good talking to you guys. All right. Thank yes, you. Sir. Have, a, have uh, a good night. All right. Take it easy. Dude, that was fun. Yeah, no, I, I our first guest was a smashing success, guys. Um, I learned a lot. I'm really excited for this matchup come Saturday. I super stoked that we were able to get him on and have that conversation, and just glad that the timing right lined up to uh, be able to get him off into that press conference. Yeah. Hey guys, I know we kind of. Um, didn't plan well for the entirety of this episode. This is going to be the exit for this one. I'm solo on this, recording at a later time. Um, we had a great time with Rob, learned a lot about the um, Oregon Ducks in this upcoming matchup. Um, like always, like and follow the Instagram page. We are starting the new thing with stickers where if you give us a five-star rating and review, we will mail you a sticker. Um, I'll include a handwritten note in there. Like I said the other day, I am not responsible if you can't read the note. Um, but, you know, just follow our pages, Facebook group, Nothing Finer Podcast. Email at nothingfinerpod at gmail.com. Um, if you're going to be at the game this weekend, go ahead and hit me up. But I'm finishing this one out solo today. Just remember, there's nothing finer in the land than a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. Bye, guys. Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide.